Welcome to Jesus Without Religion. I'm Mike Sinar, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us today as we discover Jesus through the filter of grace. If you are a Christian, you are about to see the love of Christ like you've never seen before. Never again will you fear God or feel that you are inadequate or not deeply loved by Him. We know some people call that a license to sin, but as we go through this series, you're actually going to find out that soaking in God's kindness and total forgiveness of all sin, yes, all sin, is the only prescription that will actually lead you away from the disease. Enter through the narrow gate. That's today's podcast, and I'm really excited to talk about it because there's a lot of, uh, dare I use the word, misinformation. Seems to be a popular phrase being thrown around today, but yeah, there's a lot of misinformation on this thing. Uh, So the question you may be asking is, is this narrow gate that we're to enter through, is this sort of the topic here, is this about human performance? You know, don't sin, have a lot of works. Or is this narrow gate about something very different? Is it about trusting in Jesus? So we're going to unpack this verse um, because some do teach this as a performance message. They teach the idea that, you know, the way we enter through the narrow gate is by really doing our best to avoid any kind of sin and really doing our best to have a lot of works. And when we're lacking maybe in perfect behavior, as long as you just beg and plead and cry, Uh, and ask for forgiveness, everything will be okay. You can still go through the narrow gate. And they're suggesting that somehow all of this might tie into how we enter the kingdom. So we are going to dissect that, and we're going to find out. But we'll begin today by reading those verses. They come out of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Here's what it says. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who will enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, right? And few will, and there are few who will find it. So what do we see here in these two verses? Well, we see there is indeed a narrow gate. It's true. And we see that we need to enter through that narrow gate because that's the gate that takes us to life. We also see there's another gate on the other side that leads us to destruction, and apparently it's pretty wide. Now, some would say, yeah, 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 that, uh, that whole wide one is uh, people who are misbehaving. They, got, they haven't fully repented from their sin, and they're going through the wide gate. And it's only us super elite religious people who have completely overcome our sin uh, that are entering through the narrow gate. <clears throat> now, in context... Let's talk about who this letter is being written to. Well, it's being written to Jewish people. And I would ask you, to your knowledge, are these Jewish people at this time, heck, even today in many cases, are, are they chasing after Jesus for righteousness? Or are they chasing after the law? Are they chasing after performance? Are they chasing after human effort and avoiding sin? Well, I think we can all agree that not only are they not chasing after Jesus for life, uh, they're going to put him up on a cross and they're going to show him how much they're willing to reject him. These Jewish people have no problem 
with a message about avoiding sin as the narrow gate because that's how they think they get saved. And sadly enough, there are many foolish people who are pushing that same message today as they want to tell you that the narrow gate is about less sin and potentially more works. Now, we know that the number of humanity who will get saved um, will be as many as the stars, the scriptures tell us. But only a remnant of the people of Israel are going to be saved. That's from Isaiah 10, 22, and we see it again in Romans 9, 27. But why? Why only a remnant? Well, that's because they're not chasing after faith in Jesus for salvation. They are chasing after performance-based salvation. Uh, and if we, could get, if we could attain righteousness through performance, well, then Jesus died needlessly. And today I want to walk you through some of the verses so we can see that, right? But first, I think we need to rewind just a little bit. You know, we, we're starting at Matthew seven thirteen, but let's just go back uh, roughly 12 verses, maybe a little more. We're going to uh, rewind to Matthew chapter 6, one chapter back right at the very end. Um, and it's going to be verse 30. And this is going to give us the context here. This is going to set the stage for what we just read in chapter 7. Jesus says this, You of little faith. So we have a faith problem here. They're not trusting in God. They're not trusting in the promises of God. What should they do about that? I mean, what's the solution then? And... We're going to get that answer, actually, two verses later. We see it in verse 33. Here it is. He says, but, hey, you Jewish people, here it is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. So the starting point is seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, I want to be very clear. He didn't say your righteousness. You cannot be righteous by avoiding sin. You cannot be righteous uh, through good performance. You cannot, you are a fool if you are seeking your righteousness. We seek his righteousness. And again, if righteousness could be obtained through law, through performance, then Jesus died needlessly, right? But Jesus died because we cannot obtain righteousness through less sin, law-keeping, or any human effort. So I point out that the starting point is not you trying harder, and it's not you doing more. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, I just want to read the first two verses of this. I think it's important to, to tie all this together. He says this, he says to the Jewish people, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, let me stop there for a second, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, how do you think these Jewish elites are judging others? Look, just read the scriptures. They're judging their people by their performance. And here's what Jesus is saying, saying, If you're going to judge everyone's righteousness by their performance, then that is the same way that God is going to judge you. Now, that's a pretty big deal 
because they're later going to learn that their self-righteousness, well, hey, it's not so righteous after all when you know the true standard of the law. Also, we need to know that this is not God's standard of measure. Pay close attention to what he said in verse 2. He said, judging by your standard of measure, okay? So this is not God's standard. Let's see in, in terms of salvation. That's the law, but that's not God's standard for salvation. God's standard for salvation is you trusting in Jesus. It's you believing God's promise. So let's see what Jesus has to say about their own view of themselves. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He says this. He says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? In the same sermon, Jesus taught them that the true standard of the law wasn't quite as simple as they thought it was. He said, if you look with lust, you are guilty of adultery. If you are angry with a brother, then you are guilty of murder. If you didn't forgive someone else, well, then God would not forgive you. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. James teaches us, the Apostle James, the strict one says that if you were perfectly to keep the entire law, but if you had stumbled at one point of it, even just one point, he says that you will become guilty of it all. So the Jewish elites and the religious Christians, the so-called Christians today that are pushing this message, they're judging everyone by their performance. And that's, that's the log that's in their eye that Jesus is referring to. And there's no shortage of people doing the very same thing today. If we're sharing the gospel and teaching people how to inherit the kingdom while simultaneously pushing the law as a, main, as a means of accomplishing that, then we are nothing more than a hypocrite, right? The law came in that sin would increase. It shows you how hopeless you are trying to get right with God through human effort. But the law came in, and if you've, so the law has a place. But once you've received Jesus, you're no longer under the law. You're not supervised by the law. The, uh, Jesus is the end of the law for all who believe. Yet we still have some people out there pushing it. Romans 3.9 teaches us that the law shuts every mouth up. I'm sorry, that's Romans 3 chapter 19. Now, why does it sh shut every mouth up? And it's simple because there is not one human being who has ever walked the face of the earth that is qualified to keep the law, let alone push that method on somebody else. So then what do we get? What's the solution, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 5 tells us this. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, before you go around trying to teach people how to inherit the kingdom, you might want to look at yourself and your message first. Until you recognize that you are not qualified by any human effort to inherit the kingdom, you've got a big, enormous, giant log stuck in your eye. 
That law, that log is the law. It's human performance. And if you are pushing that message, you, my friend, have a giant log stuck in your eye. And the scriptures are not confusing on this subject. You are saved by grace through faith apart from works. It is not of yourselves and it's a gift, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Now, with a little bit of foundation from what we are reading in Matthew's letter, let's go back to this verse about this narrow gate. And stopping first, what is that speck in your brother's eye? Let's talk about that real quickly. That speck, he's talking about, um, he's talking about uh, performance when we're looking at the, the big gate, right? The wide gate. Um, when it comes to inheriting the kingdom, sin uh, and uh, or avoiding sin and good works are nothing but a speck, right? That's not uh, avoid sin. Absolutely, of course. Um, we're not saying anything different. Should we have good works? A hundred percent. We are pro-works, we're pro-avoiding sin, we're pro-being, uh, uh, confessing, confessing our sin, meaning being in agreement with God that sin is bad. And that's how we show the world Jesus. And of course, and again, we are not teaching anything differently there, but when we're talking about salvation, we have no business talking about avoiding sin or having good works as a means of obtaining it. That's the speck right there. And the log is the, is in the log, he's not, think about it this, just the most religious elite guy is, is the, guy with, the guy with the log in his eye. He's that most top, heavy religious elite guy who's staring down his nose and constantly pushing human performance as a means of salvation. We know who they are. They're very rarely not, not very nice people. And by the way, usually they're pushing this down the necks of someone who, I mean, look, we've all got our weaknesses, but usually, I mean, I've had this thrown on me. I'm like, look, I'm not running around cheating on my wife, lying, cheating, stealing. Look, but we all have some weakness, some little skeleton in the closet. So some, I'm sure, bigger than others. But man, they're just throwing this like, look at me, I'm so awesome. And you're walking through this really bad gate and oh boy, you're just like really in a lot of trouble and they're just not the nicest people. It's funny, I I, I find it difficult to trust a gospel message from somebody who sounds very angry when they're pushing it. Like I wanna hear somebody who has some love in their heart uh, and who's just kind and gentle. And the scriptures tell us, you know, be prepared to share the hope that lies within you but do so gently. All right, Matthew chapter seven, verse 13, 14. Then it goes back. So let's read that again. He says, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it for the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life. And uh, there are few who find it. So there are a lot of, again, seemingly very mean people that are yelling and they're screaming at us telling us that the way to get right with God is by some kind of human effort. Some are saying we do it by avoiding sin. Some say we do it by having a giant, giant laundry list of really good works. Some say it's a combination of both, plus maybe a little repenting, then a little begging, a little pleading for forgiveness each time you mess up. 
It seems you rarely hear any love in their voice. They point their bony finger in your face and they condemn you as if your faith in Jesus meant nothing. They boastfully threaten you with hell. They pound their chest as they brag about how how they live perfect human lives and somehow as if they are the example, that's who you need to be modeling yourself after as if God is somehow amazed at how awesome they are. And while that may sound ominous and spiritual and religious, it's clear where their focus is. And it's not on Jesus, my friend. It is on themselves, right? People who are focused on Jesus are constantly talking about what Jesus did for them and not bragging about what they are doing for Jesus as they live out their daily lives. I honestly think it's the next verse that applies to many of those people. Right? It's Matthew 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of the false prophets. Now, notice what these people look like. They come to you in sheep's clothing, okay? But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Now, I want to point out that this is not about the congregation breaking records for sin. I want you to notice verse 15, where we started. It's talking about teachers who are pushing this garbage. They are false prophets. And he's not talking about the congregation's fruit. He's talking about the fruit of his teachers, right? Of these teachers. He's talking about people getting saved. Now, if you preach or if you teach people that the way to inherit the kingdom is by human effort, there will be no fruit because no one will be saved. No one will be seeking after Jesus when they believe the inheritance comes from us and our own human effort. The only way to produce fruit and to bring people to Jesus is by teaching them that salvation comes from hearing and believing. I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to say this again for anyone who might be hearing the message wrong. We do not condone sin. You you will never find a post, a message, a video, a Facebook message where we have ever said sin is okay. You will never find a saying that works are not deeply important for the Christian life. It's who we are. It's how we show the world Jesus as we exude his love. But what we're saying is this, neither have any place in the context of sharing how we get saved with someone else, right? They do not have a place. I don't want anyone thinking that they're trying, they're going to somehow earn their salvation. I want to look someone in the eye and say, God, my friend, it's easier than you think. Do you believe in the identity of Christ, the story of Christ, born of a virgin, died on a cross, has the power and authority to pay for our sins, was resurrected again to life and given him the power to give us life? Do you believe that? Do you believe God when that was his promise? And if you do believe that, and here's the newsflash, God is fully capable of rescuing us. And guess what? Here's another newsflash. If you're worried about, oh, but I got to tell them about sin. I got to, got to, got to tell them. They got to stop, stop, stop. God is really good at changing hearts when we receive him. He says, I will give you a new heart with new desires. I will put my spirit in you. And I will, I will give you new desires. I mean, do we believe this or not? New heart, new desires, new spirit, his spirit. 
I mean, you got four home runs right there, and we're running around going, no, 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 I got to kick this guy over the head about sin. Like, no, you don't. Look, there is a place to have a conversation about avoiding sin, but not when we're talking about how we get saved, right? That's it's meaning, let's not try to connect dots that do not exist in Scripture as it applies to salvation. It comes down to trusting Jesus and recognizing there's nothing you can do, even on your best day, to propitiate, meaning to satisfy a deity, to propitiate for your own sins. And this leads us um, up to verse 21, which is usually why we are taken, why they are taken out of context, because people ignore everything we just talked about, right? Um, hang on, let me just make sure. Yep, verse 21. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. We're going to go through verse 23, actually. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Now many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now I want to break down these verses because man... This is, here's a handful of verses that, boy, the religious elite ego, I mean, they are just pushing a cult theology from this. I don't know if it's because they don't have the spirit in them or they've just, and I'm not saying they're all unsaved. There are some of these people who've just quite frankly been poorly taught and they need to unlearn some of this stuff. Now, remember, what what have we been talking about? There is a narrow gate, right, that we need to find We need to go through so we can find life. The life is found in knowing Jesus. But some are teaching that that life is found through the law. They're judging people by their own standards, not God's, right? And God's standard for us is through his son. So he sent uh, Jesus to die on a cross so that we be found blameless, the scriptures tell us, on the day of judgment day. These guys have a very big log in their eye. And... What they are teaching will not lead to salvation, but rather it will lead people to destruction. If people don't get it, who Jesus is and what he did and that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, that no one will come to the Father except through him, you can perform as well as you want, it will never get you there. They are liars, they are false prophets. So again, I want to keep in that context in my mind, let's go ahead and break down these verses I just read because man, have they been wildly mistaught. Verse 21 out of Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So what we know is that just because somebody's calling him Lord, that doesn't mean you're actually a believer. So you can be pushing all this religious stuff, say, yeah, Lord, Lord, Lord. And we're about to discover that just because we have a bunch of outward works, right? That doesn't mean you actually know Jesus either. But before we continue, I want to talk just briefly about this will of the Father, right? John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And this is some Jewish people hitting Jesus up with a little trick question, right? 
Now, I want you to notice it was plural, right? What are the works that God requires? What pleases God? And Jesus answered him this way. This is the work, singular. This is the work of God, is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's what God cares about. John chapter 6, verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about hearing and believing in Jesus. Matthew also writes about uh, God's heart and His will. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 14, he says, In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones would perish. Now, God's question, uh, sorry, no question God's heart would be that we avoid sin. No one is saying differently. But that's not how we get saved. This is simply a normal outward flow of what has already been worked inside of us at the moment of salvation. Now, let's get back to the story about these people who have apparently called him Lord, Lord, but they're not going to inherit the kingdom, right? And as we read this verse, I want you to ask yourself a question. Are these people thinking they actually had a lot of works? Or are these people that think we think maybe didn't know, didn't do... I'm, let me back up a little bit. I got tongue twisted there. Are they people who think they had a lot of works for Jesus? Or are they people who felt like they didn't do anything for Jesus? Okay? So in other words, I want you to pay attention to how they think they were performing. Because this is how they think they're getting into heaven. What's going on in here? So let's read it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? You see, salvation is not about what we do for Jesus. I want you to picture these guys. They're, they're on, here it is judgment day, and they're just pounding their chest. Yo, Jesus, didn't you check out all the stuff I did for you? The prophesying, the casting out demons, miracles. Man, we were rocking it. Did you not see that, Jesus? Are you blind? Now, remember right? These people actually think they're doing all kinds of good stuff for Jesus. There's not an ounce of them that I can see that thinks their human performance was not enough. So we got to realize what's the context here? Is it not enough, right? Or did they think they had enough? Some people miss that. And as a result, they miss the context of Jesus calling them workers of inequity, if we pay close attention, we will discover that the inequity is not referring to outward sin. He is referring to inward sin, and very specifically, the sin of unbelief. So we're getting ready to wrap up here. I want you to notice, here's the big deal. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Now notice, these are not guys who used to know Jesus 
and then suddenly they start screwing up. These people, and I quote, never, never ever, not at any point in their life, never knew Jesus, right? Keyword, never. And remember, there's not a single mention, not one mention of a lack of works, not one mention of too much sin. This was about never knowing Jesus. It's about unbelief. And that was the inequity, right? And this brings us full circle back to the narrow gate. The Jewish people were all about law-based salvation, performance, right? They were not chasing after Jesus. You can run around pounding your chest. Oh, look at me. Look at me. You need to to go through the gate like me. And here's how you get there. You, You get out there. And if you do stumble, you just beg God for forgiveness and get out there and perform really well. They're not chasing after Jesus, and consequently, they certainly are not teaching Jesus as the way to the Father. These people sound familiar to you, right? They got a lot to talk about performance, but man, every message seems to be absent of Christ, trusting. They choose human law-based methods for righteousness. And Romans 3.12 tells us that through the law, no one will be found righteous, no, not even one. That is the wide gate, and it only leads to destruction. There is no fruit from that message. No one will be saved from that message. And sadly, even today, many people who buy into that message will likely stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, pounding their chest, bragging about all the the ministries they went on and all the money they gave and all the days they went to church every Sunday and Wednesday. But if they didn't know Jesus and know and trust in him, quote, alone for salvation, Jesus will plainly look them in the eye, probably very sadly, and say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Takeaway, my friends, we are saved by trusting God, trusting that he sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins and understanding that what the law could not do, as the scriptures tell us, God did it, sending his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him, well, they will never ever perish, but they will have everlasting life. Hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you for joining and God bless you all.